It's the MLS's back finale edition of Waking the Red Weekly presented by Footy Talks. Toronto FC have been eliminated in the round of 16 after a 3-1 loss to NYCFC and now had home with plenty of questions to answer. We'll raise some of those questions certainly on today's show. Uh, Joshua Cloak of The Athletic will be by a little bit later as well uh, to help us answer some of those. Uh, but first, as always, my name is Mitchell Tierney and uh, joined by Michael Singh as always this week. Michael, how are you doing? Hey, I'm great, Mitch. How are you doing? Oh, pretty good. Not so bad. Not not exactly loving uh, the kit you're wearing this week, considering uh, <laughs> what happened over the weekend to my poor old Leicester City. But, you know, uh, at least Jamie Vardy, oldest player to ever win the EPL Golden Boot. So we have that going for us and we won't talk about uh, anything else related to that. And uh, Jeff, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I was going to wear my uh, my training kit since we experienced a training match, but I didn't feel like putting in the effort, which kind of mirrors uh, the TFC that we saw. So uh I'm wearing black because I'm in mourning. I see that. Um, yeah, certainly, uh, certainly a sentiment I think felt, uh, you know, throughout the throughout Toronto FC verse right now. Uh, there's there's not a lot of positivity going on after again. Uh, uh, you know, I, I think I, I think a lot of people would have would have Toronto FC went out to New York City FC. There, even if they didn't show it necessarily at this tournament, a very good side. But the way things transpired in that match. Uh, you know, a lot to be concerned about. Uh, Michael, I guess we'll start with you for, for just general thoughts on, on the loss to New York. And uh, you had a pretty good column about, uh, you know, what, what went wrong specifically to that match. Yeah. Um, where do I start, Mitch? Jeez. Uh, we can, let's start right at the beginning of that. Let's start, let's talk about that, uh, that opening starting 11 roster. Um, sorry, one second here. Awesome. So, yeah. So, Greg Vanny obviously went with a youngster there and Jaden Nelson, who made his first MLS appearance, uh, his first real senior professional appearance, really, at the round of 16 there. And great, great to see him do that. I mean, you guys know this more than like me, more than anyone. I'm pumped to see Jaden Nelson make a start. But did it really, really, really have to be in the round of 16 winner go home tie against New York City FC? I mean, if he's really that good and if Greg Vanny believed in him that much to make a difference, why not play him for at least 10 minutes in the first three matches of the tournament to at least see what he can do, get his feet under him at least, you know, not save him till the round of 16, like he's some sort of secret weapon and put all the pressure on the 17 year old up and coming, you know, Canadian youth player of the year um, as if he needed any more pressure. So, as Jaden Nelson said after the match, he's relieved to have that one behind him. But that's where the biggest question mark for me is entering the game is um, we, we can, you know, we'll, we'll get to it later, but we can ask questions about the TFC medical staff. But I think fingers might have to be pointed at Vanny for the way that this match turned out. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely want to also shout out your article because you uh, it's uh, it's the TFC notebook and five things that uh, Michael noticed about the game. Uh, he was he was relatively able to uh, distill our scorching hot post game takes into something a bit more legible and readable, which I very much appreciate. Um, I would give big money to see the whiteboard in the NYCFC dressing room pregame. Uh, like, I mean, how how much ammunition are we going to give this team? Uh, I mean, maybe don't play false nine paws against the one side that has the most experience with false nine paws. Um, you know, uh, there's a part of me that thinks that maybe after that last 9 a.m. game, TFC just all got together and said, you know what? Maybe not because I can't, you know, it's, it's days later and I'm still, I'm still in disbelief about what we witnessed uh, on Sunday night. It was, uh, it was uh, shades of 2015 versus the Montreal Impact, if I'm being honest. I I wonder if there's a bit of an overreaction to all of this. I mean, again, there when you look at this match and the importance that it might hold at the end of the season, now there's so much up in the air, of course. We don't know if the season will be finished. We don't know if there will be playoffs, that sort of thing. And in that light, these games seem incredibly important. But there, there might be a chance we look back at this as, you know, Toronto FC – finished this tournament second in the Eastern Conference, and then all everything after that was semi-exhibition games. I know there was a Champions League spot on the line. I know what that means to this fan base, but they might have – they'll certainly likely have another opportunity to do that through a Voyager's Cup that, um, by all accounts, will be coming later on this year. So 
I don't know. I, just just the reaction to this, again, comparing it to a Montreal playoff loss and some of that sort of thing, I, I know it's fresh in the mind and that, but it, it did seem kind of like, and I wonder even if for the team, um, the, the group stage games were the most important part of this because certainly in the lack of squad rotation, um, it did seem like they really wanted to get at least something against New England and then anything thereafter maybe wasn't as important. I don't know if you have thoughts on that, Michael. Yeah, um, believe it or not, <laughs> before the tournament, I think everyone was kind of second-guessing whether or not it was worth it for Toronto City to even be there in the first place. So for them to obviously put in that disappointing performance, there are still some positives to take away from this, as you alluded to there. They're second in the Eastern Conference after you know that these three games wrapped up. And uh, you mentioned this in one of the articles that you have coming out, Mitch. I think TFC are... Um, Obviously, they're unbeaten in over a calendar year in the regular season, but this is the first time since 2017 that TFC have gone undefeated in their last five ma- or their first five matches to start the season. So there are little positives to take away here. I mean, we saw Pablo Piatti. He he played three, started four games. I mean, we thought we weren't going to see that. We thought Pablo Piatti didn't even exist in the tournament. Come on. <laughs> so um, it was great to see that he was able to get that runner under him. And Michael Bradley as well. He played every minute of the MLS's back tournament, which is absolutely ridiculous considering the fact that he came off ankle surgery uh, four months ago and he hasn't played a competitive match in eight months. So um, still a little bit of positives takeaway. Obviously the end result leaves a sour taste in our mouths, but Jeff, I don't know if you have anything to add there. Uh, I mean, you know, you, you say positive, I, I can't help but seeing it as like a loser's lament, you know? Well, you know, it, you know the, the, our house burnt down, but at least the backyard is, you know, the grass is still there kind of kind of stuff. Uh, you know, they it's came not, out... The Carolina Hurricanes are playing, uh, playing spike <laughs> oh, yeah, ball that's on right. the grass right Yeah, now. that's right. They're playing spike ball on my... Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm going to bring up the quote from your article, so, because I just, it incensed me. This is a quote from uh, Jaden Nelson that you uh, recounted. I feel like I can take away the pressure, said Nelson, when asked after the match what some of his takeaways were. When it comes to tournaments like this, I just haven't been in a lot of big tournaments like this. So knowing how to mentally prepare and play and control the game in different types of ways, ellipses, but I feel like it was a good start for me and I'm just ready for the future. I mean, I had to walk around my block a couple times after I read that because, (laughs) like, uh, what, you know, when did TFC become like a everybody gets a medal participation club in a knockout game. Like that's just not the kind of response I want to see in a post game press conference when you just got your butts handed to you by, by a rival that, you know, had that really, really, really wanted to beat you uh, because we've owned them for almost four years. All right, JPM, I'm going to slow your roll there a little bit because <laughs> <laughs> Jaden Nelson, I'll, I'll defend him here. Jaden Nelson was sitting there in his first ever press conference. Like this is a 17-year-old kid facing the media really for what is the second time, the first time we spoke to him when he first signed that first homegrown contract. So I don't think Jaden Nelson's good been in this position a lot of times where he's supposed to take positives away from such a drubbing, especially in his MLS debut. So I think in that sort of mentality, that sort of sense, we have to cut him sort of a pass there and not giving us the TFC. We went, we want to win everything quote, you know? Well, I mean, it brings us back to square one. What was he doing there in the first place? Like, let alone (laughs) the press conference, what was he doing on the field in the first place? Like you, I mean, you don't, Twice in this tournament, we've had conversations about two things that, I mean, if you read any soccer theory textbook, don't switch your center backs. Don't, don't switch both center backs at the same time. And maybe don't start, give a 17-year-old his debut in a knockout winner-go-home game. I mean, this, it, it feels like I'm taking crazy pills, to, to be honest. <laughs> No, you're not alone in that sentiment. And like like you said, I mean, you, you kind of point out Nelson there after the match, but I think this all just falls on, on Greg Vanny here. And he has to shoulder the blame as, as the head coach, as the one who is putting Nelson out there. I mean, he has to be the one shouldering the blame here. Yeah, yeah. I have two, two major issues with what Vanny did in this game. And the, the first one, again, Jeff alluded to it, Pozuelo at the false nine. Um, we, we talked throughout this tournament about how good Pozuelo has been at the number 10, you know, 
again, the only guy who scored in this game for Toronto FC was Patrick Mullins. And I know they completely switched up things by then, but it was so clear screaming out the entire game that they didn't have a strong presence in the middle. I know Deleon, the idea behind this formation is that Deleon rotates into that spot um, when Pozuelo pulls out wide, but that creates issues elsewhere um, in the pitch. So, and which we saw in transition and we can talk about that a little bit later, but that was my main issue was first off, you know, we've seen that we've seen in MLS cup, even how much of a issue, not having a number nine can be for Toronto FC. So why wouldn't you just try Mullins in that spot? Um, so that was my first issue. And the second one was, you know, after the first half, it was incredibly clear that this was an issue. The midfield was an issue. And Greg Vanny didn't do anything about it until he went down 2-0. It, it, you know, it, it's, it's one of my main criticisms I've always had with him as a coach is sometimes he gets a little too set in his plan. And when it's, when it's clearly going wrong, you know, he, he doesn't always shift it. And, you know, for th- those two things I think were were pretty detrimental to Toronto FC in this game, and I think the main reason they lost it. Yeah, just yeah, on your po- set. It, Sorry, go, Jeff. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I mean, all I was going to say is it's poetic justice that Mullins got the pity goal because the game was <laughs> screaming, screaming for a number nine, and uh, you know, we, <laughs> anyway, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's honestly that game felt like the type of game that a Patrick Mullins would score in, just. Uh, you know, TFC's out of it. They're down 3 nothing, And, you know, why not just add a little bit more sentiment, making Patrick Mullins, who didn't have any minutes in the entire tournament leading up to that match, uh, come in and score a goal. So he was sort of the forgotten striker. So, yeah, that is sort of poetic justice there. Um, Mitch, kind of good getting back to your initial point there um, on, on Greg Vanny. Um, the substitutions, uh, obviously, that you got to be proactive and not reactive yeah. in a winner-go-home match, right? The signs were there from the first half. That game was screaming for a substitution, whether you know it was Josie, whether it was Alt, whether it was Azorio, someone in the middle calm the calm the game down. Um, and then when he didn't do it, kind of got the sense that something was coming for NYCFC. Everyone watching kind of got that sense, but whatever for whatever reason, Greg Vanny sticking to his guns did, decided not to make that substitution. The question that I have to ask now is. You decide all of a sudden that we go down to nothing. Now's the time to put on Josie Altador and Jonathan Azorio. What difference does it make if you're going to make that substitution five minutes earlier? Where's that line? You know what I mean? So was it because you went down to nothing, you're making a substitution? You got to see that earlier. Straight up. Yep. You have to see that earlier in the match. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, are we going to talk about the medical staff? Because uh, something, something's rotten. Uh, you know, like uh, if every player on the team's hamstrings are made of glass, uh, are we recruiting wrong or are they training wrong? I mean, there's a, there needs to be an answer here. There's a there's what seven hundred thousand other teams in the MLS, and there'll be seven hundred thousand more next year with expansion. And I don't see this kind of in, uh, plague of of uh, of hamstring and leg injuries happening to any of them uh, with the regularity that it's happening to TFC. So. What's where's going our boy, on? Uh, where's our boy Martin Bailey? We need a stat that shows how many injuries, hamstring injuries specifically, <laughs> TFC has compared to the rest of the league. There has to be some sort of metric measuring this because it, TFC has to be up there. I, I've mentioned this before we started, but I started covering this team in August, and it's got to be at least four or five times where right before the, the kickoff, we hear someone else has gone down injured. Just thinking back off the top of my head, like you can think back to Omar Gonzalez right before the MLS Cup playoffs, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we hear that he's just gone. Cool. Mm-hmm. We hear Subasa Endo what happened to him last season as well. Um, it's just too many times where TFC is kind of picking up these these little muscle injuries in training, and then subsequently, I don't want to say hiding it from media because they, they have strategy, obviously, in their game plan. Mm-hmm. But, of course, of course. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's just it's not nice to kind of – as a TFC fan to just wake up to these surprises so often. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I do think the, the medical staff did in their defense, have some victories at this tournament. You mentioned it, the, the ability to get Bradley back in, in the roster and, and healthy. And again, Piatti, we, we talked about him coming back from injury as well. You know, the ability to have some of those guys on the field for, for as much as they did that, that does show, you know, at least in some instances, they were able to, to work the recovery well and, and, um, you know, again, have, have some victories at this tournament, but, but Mitch, shouldn't that be the standard? Yeah. I'm going to take off, away both of those you're victories. Off for four months. Probably <laughs> had a hamstring injury four months ago. Yeah. Yeah. 
You're telling me he shouldn't be able to play 60 minutes each match or Michael Bradley. We all know the work that he put in. I don't think we can credit the TFC medical staff for doing that. They they took him four months to analyze the injury itself or three months to get the injury. What it, what, what it was itself. Correct. Right. So, I mean, you can praise the TFC medical stuff because they did technically keep him on the field, but I don't know how much of that was done. Yeah. And let's not forget that Bradley had an absolute howler of a game on Sunday. You know, Omar had a howler of a game on Sunday. Uh, uh, You know, uh, Piatti hasn't played 90 minutes since he's come back. So load management or not, you know, what are we celebrating here, right? That our, our DP can play 60 minutes. Like, that's fantastic, right? (laughs) <laughs> uh, yeah i guess that's i guess that's more than fair enough yeah I, there's there's certainly concerns when it when it comes to that about uh you know the club going forward again especially with some of these important players that, that we saw missing and and how important um it, it's clear that at least one of the nines and josie or sorry uh, jonathan osorio is to this team uh, you know the, just the lack of balance in that game again if, if there is a positive though i think it, it does relate to the fact that Io Akinola can step in clearly and be a second number nine because it's so clear how much this team needs a strong presence up front. And now they do have two of them. Of course, neither of them were available uh, to start that match <laughs> against against New York <laughs> City. So it comes back to the same, uh, yeah, you know, the yeah. same thing. If you know how, um, you know how valuable are they if they aren't there? But um, at, at least Toronto FC does now have further options at that position. Um, one other thing that I wanted to talk about, and this is this is a concern, I think, going forward, a major concern, and that was um, kind of what we saw teams do to Toronto FC in that in this tournament, and that's the the high press and specifically sitting on Michael Bradley throughout the game, and Toronto FC not really having a response to that. I mean, they're very much not a quick team. They don't have a lot of guys who get in behind up forward or behind the opposition back line, especially when Akinola is out. And, you know, that, that just allows the other team to press you high, put pressure on Gonzalez and Mavinga and kind of pull them forward to the sense or to the point where, you know, neither of them are quick enough to recover. So if they make a bad pass, all of a sudden it's coming right back down your throat. And that's how almost every goal it's seen this tournament was scored on Toronto FC. And there's a lot of concerns there. Jeff, you, you look like you have a point about this right on the back. Well, I mean, remember that guy? His name's, uh, what what is it, Liam something or other? Or it starts with an <laughs> F. I'm not, I'm not quite sure. I mean, we don't even know what he's capable of. But the time of Michael Bradley, I, I love Michael Bradley. I love him to death. But the time of him deciding his own minutes is over, all right? Uh, if he gets found out in these games, uh, you know, we have to be brave enough to sub him out. Uh, it's as simple as that. If he's having a howler of a game, it's time to go. He's, t- you know, the central in our system, having a capable central defensive midfielder is very, 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 very important. And if there, if the center is not holding, we have someone waiting in the wings who apparently is quality. I mean, we, we've seen him for about 10 seconds, but uh, you know, it's, it's time to trot him out. If I, you know, I Twitter today and yesterday and pretty much for the last since Sunday has, has, uh, you know, Liam Fraser Twitter has been on fire. <laughs> so, so, you know, it's, it's, it, again, uh, you were talking a couple minutes ago about how important our nines are to us. Are they? Cause I'm pretty sure we had a nine ready to go on Sunday and we played a 17 year old winger instead and put pause in a false nine position. I, you know, <laughs> some, some of this stuff is starting to sound like empty platitudes because the proof has to be in the pudding. And what we saw on Sunday was abhorrent. I mean, it was abhorrent. Let's be honest. That was, that's not the TFC I want to see. That's not a TFC worth my emotional investment in the team. I felt taken advantage of. <laughs> Sorry, Jeff. Though. I, I, I'm not laughing at your heartache, but... <laughs> no, it's okay, man. It's all right. <laughs> I, I, I feel that. I feel that. Um, you made like four, four points there, uh, Danny, but I'll kind of just focus on two of them. You mentioned Liam Frazier. Um, I like I know I know for a fact uh, last offseason Toronto FC were looking at loaning out Liam Frazier um, and obviously things did not come to fruition and coming into this season with Michael Bradley going down the, the Reds were actually really really thankful that you know obviously something didn't transpire 
but now I'll tell you someone in, who wasn't thankful, Liam but, Frazier. <laughs> yeah. Well, now we're now we're in July, and yeah, Liam yeah. Frazier's played a total of what? I don't even know how many minutes he played in the MLS back, like 30, 20. Um, yeah. But plus the twelve or eighteen minutes he had before the tournament, he's played a total of what? A half yeah. in how many matches? We seven matches, and three three of those with or two of those without Michael Bradley. At what point do you have to say, okay, now's the time we need to look elsewhere to get Liam Fraser playing time because he really is an up-and-coming Canadian talent and he's going to waste here in this TFC side if he's not getting playing time. Absolutely. Yeah, this again is is part of the problem with MLS though is, is you know, in a salary cap league, uh, again, the second one of those, you know, again, guys like Liam Fraser are on, pretty cheap salaries right mm-hmm. so the second a guy like michael bradley goes down you can't really replace him unless you have someone like liam frazier sitting in the wings it's it's an issue we've seen with uh, well again they, they didn't really play him off the start yeah of the i was season. gonna say they literally but, had that issue yeah. when he played 12 yeah. minutes <laughs> of course of course so, so that that kind of defeats part of that but you know that's why they keep guys like that around in in the depth right because you, you just don't have enough money to have a ton of veteran options and, and the second you start loaning guys out and then, and then players get injured, then, you know, you're, you're really screwed. So uh, I think it's a wider issue in MLS and it's, 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 you know, it, it is bad for players development because they need to be playing, but you know, you have this veteran starting 11 and then, and then you, you need those guys around just in case one of those veterans gets injured. That's a fair point, but Mitch, let me pose this question to you. Who is further ahead on the depth chart, Nobolo Kello or Liam Frazier? I mean, you would hope Liam Frazier, considering you know what we've seen from him, what he's proven. Uh, see, this is the thing I don't understand about Greg Vanny and Liam Frazier is, you know, everything Greg Vanny preaches about his young players and and often why he doesn't play young players is because he likes players who give you a seven out of ten every game and not players who sometimes give you a nine and sometimes give you a four. Of all the young guys we've seen come through at Toronto FC, I don't think anyone's been more consistently solid than Liam Frazier. I mean, he, he regularly gives you, you know, a solid performance. We haven't seen many bad performances from him. So what is it? Again, we know the positional thing. We know he wants Michael Bradley to be playing there as much as possible. But what is it about Liam that, you know, he does everything Greg Vanny seems to like in a player. Why can't he get these minutes? Jeff, you seem to have a point on this. Oh, I'm so mad about the seven out of 10 thing because you just put Paws out in a position where you're going to get a four out of him. And you put Piatti, who was giving you nines all tournament, in a position where you're maybe going to get a two and a half, right? Like, that, like putting Piatti out in that, in that formation absolutely neutered the man. He was lost out there. And, and Paws was playing so high uh, that, you know, he, he might as well have been in Sean Johnson's net helping him out uh, on corner kick, uh, kick defenses. So, so, you know, it. I, it's just the theme that I'm discovering today that I didn't actually plan to discover is all these empty platitudes, these Vanny quotes that, that sound amazing, but in practice, the opposite is actually happening. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And on that Piotti kind of instance is he played on the right wing there in a false nine formation. Um, and what we've seen Piotti do so well during this tournament, he's been able to link up play closely with, with his teammates, but in his back pocket, there's always that long ball in the middle that he can play. He can pull out. We saw it a couple of times. He sent it to the far post where Richie Olea or Subasa Endo maybe ran onto it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. They didn't have that option in the middle without a true striker. So I think that – I know I, I wrote this, uh, that Pablo Piatti had an underwhelming performance against New York City FC, but I think that was just a product of them playing him in that formation without a true striker, without Pozuelo as a number 10 supporting him as opposed to you know Pozuelo as that striker supporting him. So he looked lost out there. He didn't have the legs mm-hmm. to kind of make up the ground that was required as sort of a – right winger in a false nine formation so on, on that point yeah you're, you're spot on there jeff is like yeah. two out of ten from from piatti on this final match oh yeah maybe maybe less i mean we had to listen to our our favorite jack burns on wtr who actually made the right <laughs> comment i mean this is a dp we're giving him a, a bunch of a bunch of money and and um you know let's let's talk about josie i mean he's co- he's collecting uh you know mesut ozil kind of money from us to have a protein snack on the side of the of the bench, uh, you know, can we can we honestly say that his non-participation in the MLS's back tournament is entirely down to him being in a different city 
than TFC was in missing out on the training. I don't know if I believe that. I'm sorry. I don't know if I believe that. I mean, there are a lot of people that were in different places that were doing solo training, stuff like that. The, the math just it isn't working in my head. And I think Jose Alter is just different when it comes to TFC mentality and how they want to preserve their you know, designated player, obviously, with all the injury concerns in the past. Um, but it begs the question, like, is that worth it in a designated player? Are you paying a designated player to play half the games and maybe hopefully even the ones that matter? I mean, last MLS Cup final, we only saw him for like the last 30 minutes. So I, we can play the load management game as all that we want. But when it comes down to it, he has to be available for these crucial games, these winner go home games. And when he's not there, it obviously hurts the squad. So mm-hmm. uh, that's a big piece of your squad missing out in the tournament. Yeah. yeah, it's been the same question for, for a while with Josie Altador, even before he signed the, the most recent contract. So certainly something to look look to as we go forward here. I believe Joshua Cloak will be joining us momentarily. So uh, we'll get some of his insights into, into all of these things. Um, yeah, I, I certainly think that maybe even with speaking on Josie and even with Oso, again, that just seems to point to me that Toronto FC were, are playing the long game here and that, that, that at least the knockout games of this tournament weren't maybe as important to this club as certainly it was to the fans because, uh, again, it really seemed like they didn't really want to risk Josie or Oso. You know, again, I think if this is an MLS playoff game, one or both of them are starting the match. I, I, again, I don't know their, their health situations, but... Um, it, it did really seem like they were playing the long game with, with both of these guys, and, and which is you know, interesting considering we don't know what the rest of the season will look like or when the Toronto FC will play again. Yeah, I mean, Josh is online, but, but like, when did we go from the team that wants to win every game to the long game chess, you know, chess against the Grim Reaper, Ingmar Bergman, TFC squad? Like, I just, you know, I, I'm not interested in, 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 in half – half truths and, and, and long games. I, I want my team to care about every, every single time they step on the pitch. Anyway, mm-hmm. Josh is here. Yeah, that was, that was sort of their mentality, honestly, heading into the tournament. That's what they were speaking on. You hear Omar Gonzalez, you hear Greg Vanney, even, even pause talking and they, they're winners. That, that's what TFC is supposed to be. Gonzalez, exactly. says, Gonzalez said before the game, the reason why he came to Toronto FC was because of its winning culture. And it was just disappointing, obviously, leaving leaving us in a sour taste like that. Anyways, uh, welcome, Josh. Thanks for joining us. Uh, happy to have you here. What's up, guys? You get a view of my uh, glamorous bedroom here. Yeah. Is, that an oh, unmade yeah. bed? Is that an unmade bed behind you, Josh, or what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, know, you, when you have a toddler at home, you, you, uh, you have to make some sacrifices. <laughs> definitely, bedroom, definitely. The bedroom becomes the office, and yeah, there's, uh, there's a little peek at how the sausage is made, I guess. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> love it, Josh, love it. <laughs> Mm. Yeah, cer- yeah, certainly. Uh, thanks for joining us. Um, I, I guess we'll start with the question that we that we always uh, seem to ask Greg Vanny uh, to start every press conference. But I guess thoughts on on Toronto FC's match, and I guess kind of what went wrong for for the Reds. We, we've talked about this a little bit um, to start the show, but what what are your thoughts on on you know certainly a, a game that they would be disappointed in? Well, yeah, I, I didn't hear what you guys kind of said earlier in the show, but to me, like. It, in New York City followed the, the textbook approach in terms of how to beat a Greg Vanny side, which is just press the hell out of him. Like we saw that from the first kick. Like I, I remember saying uh, to no one, because I was watching with no one, but I said out loud, like, wow, New York City is after this game. And they, and that was clear right away. Um, and the, the challenge was going to be, well, can they sustain that for 90 minutes? Right, they didn't even have to sustain it for a full ninety minutes. I was texting with a uh, a friend, and and he said, "Well, I I bet Greg is thinking somewhere around that sixty minute mark. You know, New York City is going to tire, and and that's probably when he's betting he's going to bring on his horses. But no, I mean that's how you beat a team that wants to play and build out of the back. Right, it, is you just press the hell out of them. And TFC had no answers. Um, to me, it felt like a, their subs were uh, reactive and not proactive. I, I think, and again, hindsight, twenty twenty. And I asked Greg Vanny about this, and and he, um, you know, probably didn't love the question, but he essentially said, you know, you're always kind of thinking about it. Um, 
and and yeah, of course, in hindsight, you wish you probably would have brought on those players earlier. I thought Oso in particular was the player they were missing the most because in the middle of the park, they had nothing. They had no one to kind of connect, um, you know, between Omar in the back to, to Pozuelo up front, right? Delgado, I thought had a really strong tournament, but Delgado is a, is a link man and he's a player that, that needs another player, you know, by his side. And I thought Delgado and Osorio and Delgado and Pozuelo, they look good. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So it was clear that you were missing a player that could maintain possession, slow the game down and play well under pressure as Oso often does. Right. Mm-hmm. He's not a player that panics with the ball. So they were missing him. And, and it was clear to me that this game was not going to go their way. What, two minutes in. Right. But again, I heard you guys talking about it off the hop uh, and maybe we'll touch on this more, but if you're TFC, yeah, like you have to say, we want to win every game, but this is a team that wasn't thrilled about going down to Orlando in the first place. This is a team that had their flight delayed twice. You know, we know that they, they weren't super enthused about leaving the safety of Toronto for Orlando. You go down to Orlando, you get five points from three games. You know, you're still near the top of the Eastern Conference. And you go home without, you know, aggravating any s- players with injuries. Like, I, it, it, uh, <laughs> I'm yeah, pretty sure a lot of them are coming home injured. So. They're coming home injured, but like, are you at like Iowa We don't know the the seriousness of that, but like, do you have any serious injuries here? Like Osorio, yeah, but that doesn't seem too serious. Like, I don't know. I, I don't mm-hmm. think in the big picture, this is a, a the worst thing at all for for Toronto FC. Like it was embarrassing. It was an embarrassing loss, but mm-hmm. you, you can't be too upset if you're Greg Vanny walking away from this. Yeah, they might not come home with a lot of injuries, Josh, but they definitely come home with at least a little bit more concerns from the TFC fan base after that sort of performance there at the MLS sure. back tournament. Um, what I want to ask is still on that NYCFC game. Yep. We look at that, that's starting 11. Is that the best possible starting 11 you think Greg Vanny could have thrown out? And I'll, I'll get to the next question as you yeah. as we answer that. No, I, I don't. I don't think so. Um, Justin Morrow is dealing with a nagging injury. I still think he's their best left back because, mm-hmm. again, what was missing from that New York City game was that sense of poise and that calmness that TFC generally show on the ball, and that's Justin Morrow to me. So you're missing him as your first choice left back uh, in the midfield. That's the, in the central midfield. This is where the biggest questions lie because you have three spots and you have Bradley who still looks like he's going to play every single minute for Greg Vanny. You have Delgado, um, you have Osorio. And to me, you have to play Pozuelo in the 10, right? So there's three spots there in the, in the, in the midfield and they didn't have that in that game. So no, absolutely not. That's not their, their best midfield. I still don't know who that last winger is, right? If we have Piatti on the right and we have, Either Akinola, I still think Josie Altidore comes back at some point this season. Uh, I don't know. Who, I don't know. <laughs> Hopefully. I don't know who occupies that left spot. So, no, it's, it's not their best 11. But I don't know if Greg Vanny knows who his best 11 is yet. I remember asking Greg Vanny in 2017, even in 2016, as the season, as the regular season kind of drew closer, like, do you have an idea yet? Do you have an idea yet? And he's a He's a guy that's, you know, he's always thinking, he's always tinkering. So I don't think he likes to settle on that 11 until as close to the playoffs as possible. So no, to answer the question, it definitely wasn't their best 11. uh, But I don't think we know what that is yet. Right. And just a little bit more specifically there, you had the likes of Subasa Endo, who obviously didn't end up playing. So we don't know what his status maybe was. And right. we had the likes of jo- uh, Jacob Schaffelberg on the bench, who has played at left wing, started at left wing before uh, this season. Why in the round of 16 are you giving a 17-year-old Jaden Nelson his, his first MLS debut? Um, probably because you want to bring something that New York City hasn't been able to plan for, right? If you're New York City and, and you understand what you think they're going to roll out and you've planned through video in terms of what you can bring, ultimately with Jaden Nelson, it's a high-risk, high-reward play, right? You're bringing him in and saying, hopefully he can provide that spark, that energy, that uh, whatever je ne sais quoi that, that the team, you know, clearly didn't have. 
Is it a lot of pressure? Yeah. I thought there were moments of brilliance from Jaden Nelson. And I thought, I mean, anybody who reads anything that I tweet about knows that I'm in favor of playing these young players. And, you know, in around a 16 game, you, people might say, well, why are you doing that? Why are you putting that kind of responsibility on them? But if you're a team that, like we said, is already happy with the five points you got from three games and everything else is gravy, and you're, you're not as concerned because you can still get that CONCACAF Champions League spot by winning the Canadian Championship, why not roll the dice, right? He, he, he liked what he got out of Iowa Akinola. Why not see what else? I mean, he's been high on Jaden Nelson. Michael, I think it was you who asked him about it pre-tournament. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he's high, or he says at least that he's high on, on some of these young academy products. And they made a point of signing these players before the tournament, before the season. Like, there's going to come a point where you have to, to, to roll the dice with these guys. Um, so, I, I, yes, it's a round of 16 game, but it's – I don't want to say meaningless, but, like, again, if it, it, it's, it's about as meaningless a round of 16 game as you can get, right? That's fair uh-huh. enough, fair enough. Whenever there's a, something on the line, I, I, TFC fans want to win. So Yeah, I um, wanted that CCL spot, man. I, I wanted it so badly. <laughs> Yeah. I, mean, uh, I get that. I do. I, I, I get that. But you can still get that CCL spot, provided there is a Canadian championship in some format. Um, and if, again, if you're, if you're Toronto FC and you know or you've learned probably before that game that, you know, the next phase of the MLS season is going to be just you playing Vancouver and Montreal over and over again for a few weeks, that's awesome. Like, you, you have to feel good about what you can do there as well. You have to feel good about the opportunity to get points over the next whatever it looks like, six games. Um, you know, Greg Vanny is probably, I don't know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm pumping my own tires, but he's probably sick of my questions about when he's going to play young players. Um, <laughs> maybe he doesn't listen to me at all. That wouldn't surprise me either. But, like, I think he knows, you know, and I think if, if he got one thing out of Florida, it's that his team is really aging and his team has trouble playing in adverse conditions, right? Um, So maybe it is time to really look hard at these young players you have and gather as much information as you can and, and again, roll the dice with them. Yeah. Then wouldn't he have played him at the 9 a.m. games? I mean, you know, I I appreciate the adverse conditions, but I think it's safe to say that TFC isn't going to play the lion's share of their games on the surface of Mercury anytime soon. So yeah, I I agree. Those 9am games are the ones that count towards the regular season. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm just, I'm just thinking if I'm NYFC, uh, NYCFC and I, uh, I'm going into my dressing room, my whiteboard is all about, they started a 17 year old and they're playing pauses false nine again. Let's go get these guys. Like I can't imagine any anything anything that we could have done better to to inflame them and 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 make them chase after this game at the outset that's just uh yeah i get that um i i do i i really do but i mean perhaps perhaps he's out of options you know perhaps he doesn't see perhaps you know either endo has a knock or he doesn't think that that you know maybe he doesn't like what he's seen from him or shaffelberg like none of those guys endo shaffelberg None of those guys really inspire a ton of confidence either. You know, they're like, it's, it's still strange to me looking back and this is not a knock on Subas Endo as a player in his journey, but he was in an MLS cup final starting 11. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's still surreal to me that, that Greg was Greg Vanny was able to get the most out of that lineup and take them to a final last year. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I think that there's, I think there's still some spots that, you know, he's holding auditions for. Uh, mm-hmm. and again, in a match where you kind of, if you take, if you get the win, great. If you don't, you, you get to go home and you know, your, your veteran team gets to go back to their family. So why not see what you have in the 17 year old again, like Michael, you were in on that press conference. He made a point, no one asked him about Jaden Nelson mm-hmm. um, and he made a point in, you know, a, a pretty, uh, I don't want to say angry manner, but a pretty forceful manner to make a point of kind of hyping up what Jaden did and, and highlighting the fact that no one asked about him. So he, he believes in the player. He does. He believes in the player. So, um, it, you know, he, he probably sees something that a lot of people don't. And uh, if, if, I mean, 
I think it was John Herdman who said it, right? If you're good enough, you're old enough. So that's probably where his yeah. head is at. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good point right there. Um, just talking about that that press conference a little bit, that was probably the most animated since I've been on the beat that I've seen sort of Greg Vanny after a match. Um, I remember you asked him a question. He responded using your name. So that's when you knew at that point Greg Vanny was a little <laughs> little upset. So um, back to that, that Jaden that Nelson kind of comment that he made. I feel like a lot of it, and you kind of touched this, we were asking so much about these kids building up to the the – press gone for the tournament he finally goes in and throws out jade nelson and then after the tournament no one asked him about it <laughs> it was just a little a little uh, a little bit of a added kind of punch in the gut yeah. for greg vanny after you know gambling on nelson and then no one else kind of covering that i think yeah i mean you don't have to go far you don't have to go that far back to 2018 to think about you know animated or um <laughs> Greg Vanny. Um, but yeah, I, I think that, that um, there, there's clearly some frustration on Vanny's part about the performance of the team. And I, from what I picked up, you know, in terms of what he said, there's, you know, he literally said there's some things happening that he's not going to address in the press conference that, that, that he has to kind of address with his team. Um, and he obviously wouldn't elaborate, but mm-hmm. that was enough to let us know that, you know, he's frustrated at, at, you know the the attitude or the effort in in some players Uh, and I still think that there's a a lot of you know we know that this TFC team tries to project themselves as the very picture of stability but I think that you know again I heard you guys talking about it like what what's going on with Josie Altidore you know what's why isn't that you know we don't have the salary figures yet but he's going to be one of the highest paid players in the league you know uh if he's on the 18, why, why are they not playing or, or 20 or whatever, right? Like why? And, and we don't know. Um, but I feel like there's Greg's man. He still has a lot of questions of this team and he doesn't have the answers yet. Yeah, a lot of this has been focused on like heavy Greg Vanny. Um, one of the stories you've sort of been covering this season, you're sort of chasing is Greg Vanny's impending contract negotiations with the club. Yeah. Um, do you think this sort of performance affects that in any way, shape or form? One question I wanted to ask, and I was a little upset that we didn't get any follow-up questions um, in terms of the, these MLS press conferences leading up to games, is how much stock Vanny thinks we should even be putting into this tournament. Like, how should teams, like, if a team wins this tournament, you know, whoever it is, like, let's say Philadelphia win this tournament, does that make them MLS Cup favorites? Or is it just, mm-hmm. well, they did well in this weird kind of patched together tournament. I'm of the belief that, you know, if we look at the games that mattered, you know, TFC were undefeated, right? So uh, I don't, I I don't think Greg Vanny will be judged on this tournament. I think if, if the club don't get that Canadian championship and they lose out on CONCACAF Champions League again, uh, because then what happens is you're not, to bring it back to Josie, then you can't use Josie in Champions League, right? And then you can't use these designated players that you've played a lot of, paid a lot of money for in Champions League and, and to get that final trophy that, to fill that empty trophy case, right? Mm-hmm. So that's where I think things get a bit dicey for Greg Vanny, but I still can't see a scenario where they don't extend his contract. I, I really can't. Mm. To me, he's he he has a vision for the club. He's so in tune with the academy. He's so in tune with this club's growth. And I don't see another. I mean, you you to me, you also never fire a coach unless you have what you believe to be a better coach in waiting. And and I don't see who that. Atlanta United. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't. No, I, see- I, I, Sorry, I I find it funny that uh, we're talking about you know the the left wing as a position uh, of concern for Toronto FC, considering they brought in a very highly paid left winger this off season and then decided they liked him better on the on the right side. Uh, <laughs> what were your thoughts on uh, on Pablo Piatti and and his tournament? Because I, I think certainly mixed mixed reviews. He looked pretty good out there with Pozuelo and Auro, but then uh, you know again it's it's all about integrating with with the new side. Yeah, I thought when him and Pozuelo were clicking, that's probably up there with about as dangerous as, as a one-two attack as, in there as there is in MLS. Like, they're just on, on another level in terms of, like, 
their synergy with the ball, how quick they can move the ball. Like the MLS doesn't have a ton of those caliber of attackers yet. Um, and they play the kind of like, you know, Greg Vanny is, is I, I, as far as I understand it, you know, he's pretty obsessed with those good La Liga teams that keep the ball on the ground and, and, and you know, move and, and, and there's so much interplay and they play between the lines, right? Those are the kind of players that Greg Vanny wants. So those yeah, those, yeah. It's those glimpses. I, I, I remember asking about it. It's a good question, Michael. I don't remember what he said, but I'm sure it was a long, thoughtful answer. Um, <laughs> but then later on in the tournament, he just like dropped off. Mm -hmm. um, so do we have a full kind of sample size of what Pablo Piatti is yet? No, but the, I thought that when he played with Pozuelo, he looked about as dangerous as, as they could like hope he'd be. Right. And, and I, still, I, I still wonder, and maybe I'm just stoking the conspiracy theory fires here, but I still wonder if there was a plan to bring in another designated player this summer, had things gone according to plan and we were back on earth one, you know, I, I still wonder if, if there was a plan for him to, for the club to bring in another designated player, convert him to a Tam winger. Um, because he's a good player. Piatti shows that, that he has skill, but the injury questions about him were just so, so strong. And he was on a one-year deal. Like I just, the, I, that one didn't feel like it was the, the kind of the, the final nail, if that makes sense. So I still wonder if, if he was the, the be all and end all, or if they had something else up their sleeve that they were just kind of waiting for, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we knew Piatti's deal was sort of on the lower end in terms of salary-wise for a designated player. So he would be, at least for the reported figures, he would have been eligible to be bought down into a TAM contract, as Josh is saying. And TFC would be eligible to have another designated player come in this summer in the transfer window. So obviously, I, with everything that's changing with the pandemic and everything, I don't know if things are going to go that way. But the one thing I want to point out is that we haven't been able to see Pablo Piatti play with a true striker yet. I mean, we saw Ayo Akinola, but we haven't seen Pablo Piatti, uh, Alejandro Pozuelo, and Jose Altador spearhead that TFC attack yet. So I'm really looking forward to see what that looks like when Pia or, or, yeah, Piatti and Pozuelo have that presence in the middle that can really win balls in the air and create that long ball threat. Yeah, I mean, me too, because on paper, that should be as dangerous a, a, an attack as there is in MLS. Mm. I, I, I don't know. I don't know where, I don't know what, what Josie Altidore's season is going to look like. I've given up trying to kind of guess or hypothesize like it. I mean, he could play out the rest of the season. Mm -hmm. I mean, there could be like his injury history is concerning, but I, I don't know. And, and it, it can get exhausting just thinking about it. <laughs> really. Well, let's make, Let's make Josh hypothesize more. Uh, coming out of the Athletic, there's the report of this uh, this phased restart of the MLS season following the uh, conclusion of the uh, the MLS's back Mickey Mouse Cup. Uh, what do you think of this plan for the three Canadian sides to round robin themselves into oblivion? Uh, do you do you think it's actually going to happen? And do you think that uh, we'll advance to whatever they're calling phase three, which would be sort of the Bundesliga EPL in market games? Uh, uh, song fans to play out the rest of the season. I mean, if we look at what's happening in Major League Baseball right now, doesn't exactly. inspire a ton of confidence in playing in market games. I was having a conversation with a colleague at The Athletic and I kind of just wondered out loud um, before this was reported, uh, and I have absolutely no reason at all to, to doubt their reporting. And, and Greg, all but confirmed. I asked him about it in the press conference and, you know, he was a little nicer, uh, but no, he, uh, <laughs> he, he, you know, he essentially said that, that that's kind of what they're, they're planning for is a mid August restart. I wondered out loud why you wouldn't have a hub city format and make Toronto a hub city. Like, do you have the facilities that you do in, in Orlando? Maybe, uh, would there be concern about bringing in a bunch of players? Sure. But I look at what the NHL has done. No positive tests as players head into the bubble. Um, it, it would require a lot more lead time than mid-August. I don't think they could have turned it around then. But 
why not? They'll do still it? be yeah. They'll still be barbecuing at BMO in, in right. late August. So right, yeah, and that's yeah. the other thing too that we should point out with this plan. Like, I don't, I would be surprised if we get more than my over under at games at BMO for this phase two is mm-hmm. one. And a half. It's one and wow. a half. I think they'll get. Right. I I don't know if they'll get because I mean that BMO Field is essentially booked until September eighth. Like, uh, yeah, don't remind me, but yeah, those Carolina Hurricanes, man. <laughs> oh man, they're playing spike ball on my cis grass. Like, what the hell? <laughs> it should, be, in, in all seriousness, I was told by someone at the club that they, like, I don't know if you watched the video, most of them were in bare feet. Um, yeah, I, I don't think they can wear like studded shoes. I don't think that I, I wonder what I don't think they can wear boots and they can't use any of TFC's equipment. Um, so you're essentially treating it as a beach in a way, but I wonder aloud, like, why not? No, why not have the three Canadian cities as your hub cities? You know, have all the California and Northwest teams in Vancouver. I guess you would have a lot, maybe the Central teams in Toronto, and and have all those Northeast teams in Montreal. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, if you're Toronto FC and you play whatever, six games maybe against mm-hmm. Vancouver and, and Montreal, that, that'll look good on the, the regular season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, true enough. I don't, know, I, think- I don't know how many viewers we have out in those cities, but neither, I'm not, I wouldn't fear either of those teams. I thought Montreal looked like a mess, and I don't think Thierry Henry knows what he has right now. And I think there's just still so far to go for this Whitecaps team. No, our viewers mm-hmm. love that content, Josh, keep that going. Keep that same energy yeah. going. <laughs> <laughs> for yeah. sure. Yeah. Before we let you go, Josh, I did want to ask you one more question about uh, a change in formatting and that's the, the world cup qualifying format for CONCACAF and, and what that means for Canada. I mean, you know, certainly they say something like 20 games for Canada to qualify for the World Cup. But again, it's it's a path that, while complicated, is much straighter to a, to a Qatar 2022 than um, certainly what happened in, as you said, uh, World Part 1 or <laughs> the first version. Earth 1. Earth 1. Yeah. Got to be a comic book nerd. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a lot of games, isn't it? I don't, uh, that was my first thought is where, when are they going to play all these games? That's a lot of games to get in before 2022, um, you know, on a, in, in a, and a lot of travel too. Mm-hmm. Um, so is it an easier or is it more of a, like you said, a straight line? Yeah, sure. Um, I think just kind of getting to that final eight it is, that has to be the bare minimum for this team. And I've been pretty high on their chances to qualify, if only because of, you know, the talent they have. Uh, I'm a believer that in, and I guess maybe that was proven wrong in this MLS's back tournament, but, you know, in shorter tournaments, uh, I'm of the belief that talent is what wins out, right? Alfonso Davies should be able to win you games alone. Jonathan David should be able to win you games alone they should have no not they should have no trouble this is the men's national team we're talking about but (laughs) the bare minimum should be getting to that group of eight and playing meaningful games um i still think they can qualify because i still think that we have yet to see the best of jonathan david and alfonso davies and i and, and there's other you know we haven't even brought up some of the other attacking talent but those two players alone i know we talk about them all the time but i think for good reason like is there a better is there a better player in concacaf right now than alfonso davies he should be able to win you a few games how many better you know goal scoring forwards are are there in concacaf than jonathan david right now a few but not a ton and i still think those players are going to get even better um, yeah, I guess a lot depends on where you play Alfonso Davies, but we don't have three hours to talk about that. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, that was, that was gonna be my follow-up. Can, yeah. can you win yeah. games at left back on your own? That's the million dollar question. <laughs> so, yeah, I think they should be able to get uh, as close as, as possible to qualifying. Right. I, I really do. Uh, but the, that, that final round of eight is to me, the, the bare minimum in terms of expectations. Yeah, some good news for the national team, I think, is that Christian Gutierrez 
if he decides to play for Canada, looked pretty excellent at this MLS's back tournament at left back. Richie Larea didn't look bad there either. So, yeah, uh, Richie Larea to me, I, I mean, why, why aren't we talking about Richie Larea for that left wing spot? Mm-hmm. No, seriously, like why? You know, like what? What um, if you get Justin Morrow back and you play Aro at right back? I mean, why? Why don't we use Richie Larea? as a winger you know i was joking about it on twitter but like you know he boy he plays with fire i really yeah. love seeing him play i do um mm-hmm. and greg vanny wants to bring in players that just bring that energy i don't know it's he's got one yeah yeah so direct he's just so direct and he yep. makes stuff happen you know what i mean and just at left wing and i feel like that's that like you said Joe, that'd be something tfc would need just that pace down the wing and that can attack into the box and he's capable of putting a cross in too so um yeah that, that could be an option we can look up for you make some good points there josh yeah put all the techers on the right side and just have the direct uh the direct runners on the left side and see what happens yeah, even from a defensive standpoint richie's a guy who's shown he's, he's pretty good defensively and toronto has shown they maybe don't have enough defensive minds on the field at any one time so i uh, certainly wouldn't mind uh having richie there but uh certainly thank you so much for for joining us today josh it's it's been great Anytime, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah thanks, thanks for Josh. ranting with us, Josh. Cheers. <laughs> yeah, thanks again to to Joshua Cloak. That was uh, that was good. I think we we learned a lot of you know maybe inside the mind of Greg Vanny a little bit, uh, a bit more about Toronto FC and and their plans going forward. And and again, there was a lot unknown as well that uh, we'll continue to debate and, and talk about in the coming months as as we move towards whatever the next phase of MLS looks like. Um, after this tournament. Before we wrapped up here, guys, we'll, we'll, we'll make this segment a little more snappy because certainly we went a, a little long with Josh and I don't think anyone minded that too much. But um, we were, we were going to talk about the Reds we wish we saw more of at this tournament. And we talked about mine a lot. Uh, it was Liam Frazier. So uh, we'll move quickly past that. Jeff, who was yours? Mine was Patrick Mullins. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I, uh, obviously for the rationale behind the, uh, the last game. But, I mean, uh, we're sleeping on this guy. I saw him do a Reds Rewind with, uh, with Eric, and uh, I was really impressed with how well-spoken he was, how intelligent he was. Um, the way he was breaking down plays in the game that they were watching was, uh, was pretty switched on. And, uh, you know, you can't ignore the fact the guy's a journeyman. He's played – he's had some good seasons with the, with the Revs, with DC, and with NYFC. NYCFC. I don't know why I always leave the C out of NYCFC when I say it out loud, but, uh, uh, you know, I just, I, I feel like we're sleeping on the guy and, uh, you know, it, it incenses me that, that we have a capable striker. I mean, he's not, he's not a jobber and, uh, and we're not playing him when, when games are screaming for, for strikers. It just, ah, anyway, there we go. Yeah. I've, I've been a big passion model fan since he arrived. He's, he provides a great, uh, he's he's big and he also has that speed that people that size usually don't have. So mm-hmm. um, he's def- definitely a unique ass and I'm a little disappointed we didn't see a little bit more of him. I'm sure he is too, mm-hmm. um, especially with some of the youngsters that came up and took his spot there in the in the lineup. I'm sure he has a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. The player I want to highlight, obviously, was Josie Altador for obvious reasons. We wish we mm-hmm. saw a lot more of him. But also, I want to see... Shaquille Marshall Ruti, the the sixteen year old youngest ever Toronto FC signing. Um, I know for a fact that <laughs> I know Jeff. I know, but I know for a fact that like, big European clubs, it, 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 like the big ones, mm-hmm. they were all after this kid, and he just chose to put pen to paper with Toronto FC. And I think in two years' time, we'll be talking about him as like the next big Toronto FC product coming out of the academy. So I was a little disappointed that we didn't even get to see, you know, five, 10 minutes of him play. Um, Cause I do want to see what he can do at the senior level. So he's, he's one to look for in the future. Love the positivity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think, um, you know, it, it was kind of funny. We went into this tournament thinking we'd see a number of young guys and uh, I, I didn't think we'd see them, you know, in the round of 16 as, as we did, <laughs> but um, <laughs> But yeah, I I agree with both of those. I think Mullen certainly, it seemed like he should have had more of a role to play in this. We don't know what's going on with Josie. And uh, again, I'm I'm incredibly excited to see what Jekyll can do because as Michael said, the, the names of the teams that uh, have been linked to this guy are of the highest standard. So it's pretty clear that he's he's maybe the next uh, the next Canadian to 
to go out there and and set the world on fire as Alfonso Davies has done. But uh, that brings us to the end of our show, the end of, uh, I guess we could say, this season of Waking the Red Weekly. It, it's been a lot of fun. Um, big thank you, as always, to Kevin Kennedy and, and Sophia from Homestand Sports for all the work they've done in the background and foreground. Uh, the guests we've had over the past couple of weeks, Dr. Tej, all uh-oh. We just lose Matt. Hopping on with us today. Thanks, of course, to my co-hosts, Jeff and uh, and Michael. Really appreciate it, guys. It's been great. And, um, yeah, as most of you guys are, uh, thank you most uh, to, to all of you for watching, um, interacting with us throughout the show. We've really enjoyed doing these things and hope uh, you guys have enjoyed listening to us as well, all of our rants, all of uh, Jeff's thoughts on TV, uh, the TV um, side of things, all of the, yeah, yeah. those sorts of things when he's supposed to be previewing games. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. The uh, incredible shrinking Adidas logo. It's amazing. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Continues to, continues to amaze as this tournament continues, but um yeah, we don't know what MLS will look like when it's back or or that sort of thing. But um, when it does, we, we hope to be back with this show. And until then, both Footy Talks and Waking the Red will have plenty of content over the next couple of months to fill the gap. So um, enjoy the rest of the tournament, everyone, and catch you again sometime in August. Yeah, see you on the flip, everyone. Thanks, everyone.